Street Fighter V has been updated with a new balance patch and new V-Skills, and Rashid's is making people go bonkers. We explore this and a few other important changes that the community has been buzzing about, and then share our Capcom Cup experiences as we touch on the good and the bad of this year's big dance, all on this week's episode of the Event Hubs Podcast. Perfect! Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Event Hubs Podcast. I am John Catalyst Gray, and with me as always is John Velociraptor Guerrero. Yep, still John Velociraptor Guerrero, still doing the podcast. Yep. All right, we're back from Capcom Cup. We had a great time, although we know some people who were watching the stream did definitely not have a great time. Uh, we are going to get into that, but before we do that, we're going to get into the balance changes that have hit. Uh, Rashid is is running amok on Twitter. I'm not even going to say he's running amok in-game. I'm, I'm saying on Twitter because everyone is losing their minds about this guy. John, what are you seeing? Yeah, he's flying amok because he's traded in his running V-skill, I guess the rolling V-skill, I should say, sorry, for a, a basically uh, this crazy kind of dive kick. But it's not even. it doesn't even have to be a dive kick. This air maneuver. Um, and I'm calling it the wing stop uh, because I think the uh, the actual name of it is um, let me find it here real quick uh, wing stroke. <laughs> so she's doing wing stop all over the place. But essentially, what it is uh, is that he can do this from standing, or he can do it from a neutral or forward jump. And when he presses his V skill, he suddenly stops, zips backwards for like a half second, and then can zip forward with either. A, like an eagle spike dive kick or a forward kick or any of his air normals and so this is a crazy mobility that the character is given now in the air and th he's had these types of things he's been this type of character but he was the number one you know in the in the crosshairs for nerfs and capcom certainly did that but then they gave him this and in right now the public sees it and it looks like he's playing marvel versus capcom in a street fighter game in fact, we just saw a Daigo clip from his stream where he encounters one of these uh, Rashids that's just going crazy with this zippity doo dah dive kick day, and Daigo says something to the effect, as translated by, uh, I think it was FGC translated, but don't quote me on that one, uh, that, like, can we please just play Street Fighter? Like, as a, this isn't Street Fighter, this is just goofy <laughs> Marvel versus Capcom stuff. And so that's kind of the sentiment that people are, are feeling right now. And of course it's Rashid. And it's of course it's something crazy and goofy like this. Um, I will say before we go any further and to the other side of the coin or the other side of the scale, this is day like one, this is day one stuff. And yes, it's zany, but this kind of thing is gonna do really well for the aggressor and just the defender is gonna have almost no chance the kind of style of move this is on day one without the information it's just that's that's what it is so it's gonna get better than it is right now so please keep that in mind and i think everyone kind of does do that yeah um i i actually um we saw the blowups here on social media and i immediately told dream king and velociraptor here hey Guys, go into, you know, ranked or go into a battle lobby, I should say, and, and try this out. Like, I literally paid these guys money to go test out, like, how Rashid's V skill 2 was doing overall. Like, on the clock, go do this, find it. Uh, because you of paid me to be a Rashid dummy. Like, yes, I just was exactly. the dummy to be hit by Rashid, uh, and you didn't pay me enough for it. So yeah, I'll just I, say it that, that, that That's totally fair. I have to agree with you on that. I don't know if there's enough money to pay someone for that. But um, anyway, you guys did go in there. Like, what did you find? Like, what did did you see when you guys were specifically trying to counter and set this up the scariest thing about it is that Rashid has so many different options out of it 
most of the options do seem like they are not safe and fairly easily counterable. Um, if he does the uh, if he does it from standing, then his kick move will be a horizontal one that is very punishable. If he does it from the air, the kick move will be a downwards diagonal one that is punishable because he bounces off of you. But he can actually space it like where it just hits your ankles, and then it seems that he uh, doesn't bounce and just immediately lands and feels pretty plus. That's that's the scariest part of it for me. Um, just for each different part of it, but the the scariest thing overall. Is how things work uh, in in tandem with each other. He's got so many options that even though they're not necessarily safe or that they have a pretty reactable counter to them, you're not going to be ready for all of them at all times. Because remember, you're playing an actual match of Street Fighter. You're worried about a million different things. It's hard enough to be ready to anti-air someone, right? Just with a DP because they have a jump that you know isn't changing. But now he goes up in the air. He's going to stop move backwards and then either zip forwards or fall with a um fall with any one of his air normals maybe he's going to try to cross you up with his uh, his light kick or maybe it's just a regular jump and so you're not going to be ready for all of these things and it seems like it's a built-in juggling act we've talked about how this game is very much about making your uh, uh opponent not ready because they have so many juggling balls at once you don't know which one's actually coming for you well this is built in like that there's uh, so many just options from the air and in and just on a you know drop of a dime or whatever the saying i'm trying to think of is uh that's what's pretty scary about it but all of the options do seem to have an answer so uh, uh, if you're able to react great and and as we study it maybe we'll find that there's you know maybe just one or two different kind of reactions you'd want to have to this because both of those things kind of cover everything you could potentially do it's early, but it does seem scary and nutty, and I, I'm pretty surprised Capcom would even take this kind of a chance. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, one of the things that immediately jumped out to me, you know, I, we have both been playing fighting games for a while. Uh, uh, this is an immediate, why aren't people going air to air? I see people constantly trying to anti-air with normals, right? Like, mm -hmm. even Daigo was trying to anti-air with normals. Like, dude, what are you doing? Like, he can alter his jump trajectory. Uh, I mean, I played Rose in Street Fighter 4, and I got used to Rufus and Canley being able to alter their, their jump tra trajectory. And it was like, okay, you have to go air to air sometimes to knock them back. Like, that's just the way it is. Your normals that, that work in every other matchup are not going to work here. Uh, uh, what did you see when you guys tried to go like air to air with this? Yep, so I did plenty of that, and it does seem to beat out uh, plenty of his options. So it, that's that's one of your answers, and I'm sure we're going to see that a lot more often. But at the same time, I think it was when, if he ever did the uh, grounded one and did the kick, that thing becomes active, and it seems like it stays active as he, as he slides or as he flies across the screen. So trying to air-to-air -to -air with that often resulted in just getting kicked and knocked uh, pretty far towards the corner. But yeah, air-to-air -air is one of the things you can do to it, it seems. And I'm going to have to go in more and, and really understand. This was only about 15 minutes of, of you know doing stuff and trying to get an idea of what this is, how it works, and what some of the counters are. So my understanding isn't super nuanced yet, but... Uh, DP seems like it's an option if, if he truly comes down. Uh, air to air is an option if he's not doing that spike kick. But are you ready for all of them? You know, mm -hmm. and and the other thing is that it kind of serves as something of an air shimmy. It's not they they were sure to make it not too great, like the distance that he travels suddenly backwards. 
But uh, and and Nikali's DP goes a little more horizontal than the majority, if maybe not all of the cast. So this is kind of good for Nikali. But there was one or two. There were one or two times where uh, Steven was able to get my DP to whiff because of the movement there. And I have to suspect that maybe Nikam Nikami. Oh my gosh, the scariest thing ever. Uh, maybe Nikali <laughs> and Cami will, or you know characters like that with those kinds of dps will be okay but like ryu who's gonna go more or less straight up is or like cody it's like oh good luck i'm trying to deal with this and then i mean if you don't have the dp then you don't have to worry about um you know like uh, uh getting crush countered because you missed your dp uh but yeah it's it's again it just comes down to like yeah there's a right answer to just about anything he can do out of it but you're not going to be ready for everything at once. And so if a player wants to, they can just play the throw everything up in the air, literally, and see if you're ready for what comes down. And that's not fun. But yeah, yeah. anti-air, that's one of the things you can do. So the frame data here is a little bit like kind of odd, but like uh, they talk about the recovery of this move having 58 plus six frames. That's a full second uh, over a second, you know, of recovery um, mm-hmm. on it. And I, I'm sure, you know, it depends very heavily on kind of like what you do with it. But with uh, the wing stroke, there's very much a... Um, there's very much a recovery there with it. Like it's there, there's probably some punish opportunities people aren't familiar with just yet. Like where Rashid is going to, you know, stand there for a second or, you know, being, doing whatever. I know you mentioned his kick comes out like really quick and, and, you know, uh, can, you know, seems like it's active forever and all that. So there are counters to the counters. Right. But, Mm -hmm. um, something you mentioned to me earlier is this seems like it favors the aggressor right now. Like where if, um, if both people haven't labbed it heavily, it's definitely going to favor the Rashid player right now. Of course. Yeah. So, um, I, I do want to point out that Rashid's V skill in the, in the game currently is dominantly good. Like you will see a Rashid player like throw out, you know, standing heavy punch, um, you know, do his uh, uh, EX tornado and then roll right after it. And you're pinned in the corner and you're, you know, you're negative eight and you're in the freaking corner against Rashid. And, and that is no longer um, something he can do when he has V-Skills too. Like, he, that is one of the better and more dominant V-Skills in Street Fighter V that he is no longer having access to. Like, how do you feel that trade-off kind of plays off? I'm not, again, I'm not certain how much each of these V-Skills uh, actually benefits him as, as compared to each other. But that is what you're saying there. It's like you, you see Re, uh, Rashid's V-Skill 1 used every round of every match. Right, like that's a huge part of what helps him take you to the corner. He has other ways of doing that, but uh, his bread and butter combos, those kind of things, are gonna change. And to what degree, I'm not sure, but it is giving up something significant to get this. And the character got nerfed in neutral, man. The uh, something we're gonna talk about, I think, in a little bit, just the way you can whiff punish now, the way hurt boxes sit out there, it it feels very satisfying and uh, very just and makes you play with a little more intent and that's great some of the crazy stuff about this character in uh, when you're talking about him using v skill 2 he's given up a lot and so it's also important not to look at these videos of seeing daigo just get popped around the screen and look fairly helpless on day one or day two or whatever it is and go yeah this is the rashid that i've always known it's not they nerfed them and so it's a combination of all of these things together it's too early to tell it's scary and it and it might be good uh it might yeah. be really good i'm i'm already kind of leaning towards that it will be just because of what i've seen and because of just the history of rashid but it's early and yeah. so don't pass too much judgment right now it's it's also fireworks it's the right character to set people off and it's crazy marvel stuff it's going to catch attention it's going to be flashy i don't know um how how much that sticks with it though 
Yeah, I agree with you. I think this is going to be a good move that Rishi players do use quite a bit. But the classic on social media is, is right when a patch drops is to have a crazy overreaction. And I think most people are falling into this right now. Like, this is the best move ever. And it's going to, you know, why did you keep Rashid intact and buffed and all that kind of stuff? It's like, he got a bunch of other nerfs. And um, a, a quick example of this is uh, Monat V-Trigger 2. Um, V-Skill 2 is a direct buff to it. Plus, they buffed V-Trigger 2. Like, they basically looked at my Monat and said, we're going to make that better a lot better and I'm going in there and of course I'm joking with Steven Dream King right off and saying hey dude you can give me the Evo prize money all five bucks it's mine like right now you can just give it to me um and, and you know and that's like the classic like it, it, you see something on paper you mess around with it in training mode and you're instantly like boom this is amazing this is you know oh everyone better watch out and stuff like that and then you know I go and play against Dream King for a few matches he's playing Gil uh, I'm doing a bunch of other characters and I finally switch over to Monat and I'm trying to do, you know, the stuff I, I labbed in training mode, right? And he's, he, at first he's falling for it. I'm, I'm beating him up and down and he starts adapting to it. And I go, oh, I didn't really account for that. Like, okay, so this is not as good as I thought it was. Like that, that whole I'm winning Evo, you know, kind of thing. Like it dropped way far down very quickly. Like it did not take long for me to play against a very solid and good player um, and, and who knows what I like to do and to start shutting that down. And, and that's, that's the very much a classic here in the fighting game communities. We get brand new tech. We think it's going to be amazing. And in some cases it is, but in much more, it's like, yeah, this is really good, but it's not, it's not game breaking. You know, it's not destroying everything as we know it type thing. And, and again, I'll just, I, I really go back to what my, my main character just got. They literally buffed like everything I use and they gave me exactly what I wanted. And even then, I, I think where I'm going to actually end up is right now I'm at like, this is really nice. This is solid. It's good, but it's probably going to end up a bit better than that, but it's not going to be amazing. It's not going to be game changing. It's just going to be, oh, this is a really good tool that I can use now that is very helpful overall to my game plan. When this kind of a huge update happens and as a competitive player you want to know everything there is to know and get back immediately to the level that you were previously at yes. of familiarity with the, the game as it's been for the last year or two, you can't do that. And that is frustrating and it'll give you a little bit of an anxiety and uh, intimidating because you just want to be there and then now you're thinking about well everything's new and I don't know if I can punish Kage anymore and what do they give Rashid and Kami and how do I use my new stuff and and all of that and I, I I've decided that it's best to approach all of this like new stuff with um without putting anything into a box don't put mm -hmm. anything don't don't take your first reaction or your first observations and put that into a box don't think that the game needs to be a certain way because that's how you've known it before uh, and put that into a box don't uh, look at it and be like oh this is this huge mountain that I'm never going to be able to to uh, uh, you know master again because there's just so much now all of a sudden to, for me to learn about are my you, character are you calling else. out Daigo are you saying Daigo's a scrub for saying we want to play Street Fighter you know I'm saying yeah. What, uh, yeah. No, and my, my point there is even Daigo goes through those emotions. You know, sure. even even he's like, ah, oh, really, Capcom? You know, really, this is what you did? You know, and it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's easy to fall into those traps. It's like this is a very emotional game. It, it puts you on that roller coaster. And what your approach is is very smart. Try not to put stuff in that box. Just accept it and that we're all in very much a learning and growth stage right now. And try to avoid those hyperbole, you know, reactions up on Twitter. I get that you get a lot of likes and retweets if you do it. And I get you might get posted on event hubs. I understand that. But um, you do want to reserve some judgment for the long term. 
And just to be clear, I have not taken my own boxes and stood up on them and pointed down at everybody else like Daigo and the general popularity or population. I am pointing at myself because I am preaching that to myself constantly because I find myself falling right into that as well. So it's a philosophy that I'm trying to implement, but there are bumps in the road for sure. Yeah, Velociraptor. I got it. Ten points. I did it. Uh, so what, what else are you seeing right now with, uh, with your time that you're putting in? Yeah, we kind of looked around yesterday to kind of get an idea of what's floating to the top on social media, what's buzzing, what are people paying attention to the most. I I wanted to pay attention to that, but I also wanted to look at the game from my own point of view and look at the things that I think are going to be obviously and, and fairly immediately significant and how things are going to change like so basically stuff to look out for and and there's like you know two reasons one because this is what people are currently talking about and two because i think this is what's going to be important and you're reading my article so i get to say that and the uh, one of those things that i think is particularly important and very much changing the game what i was getting at earlier is lingering hurt boxes after whiffed normals it's not across the board that this happened. It's not like every single normal suddenly is um, much more whiff punishable. But many of the ones that were hurting the footsie battles and making the game like feel not rewarding and, and unjust have been changed. Uh, I think Akuma's like fierce punch, Birdie's fierce punch, uh, Urian, the I've I've complained about that ad nauseum. Uh, mm-hmm. That's been nerfed, and it's it's something that's. Rashid, all of these guys, they whiff something in front of you, you can hit it and it feels like, yes, now I have an answer. It's, I can be out of this range and and you can't do this here anymore and I get to do that little more nuanced dance. These are still great moves. A lot of them, you know, they have crush counter properties and they, like, they reach exceptionally far. There, there's a lot good about them, but this was a very appropriate movement from uh, Capcom to, to make these well, basically, like we've said, to make them footsie friendly and to make them so they're not destroying the footsie game or, or at least taking away from it, I should say. Uh, I've been really happy to see these uh, because it means we're going to get to play a, a game with more intent and and also a game where you get to interact with your opponent more because these a lot of these have been just do it because I don't have to worry about risk. And when that happens, who cares if what the other person's doing? It's a one-player game. This is a very... Like, like this happens virtually every single round you're going to play of Street Fighter, you're going to interact with this kind of a thing, which is why I think it's so fundamentally important and why it's going to change things uh, for the good of the game and in a significant way. So I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I, just to run down some of the names here that we're talking about, we're talking about Bison, Colleen, uh, Karen, you already mentioned Urian, Rashid, and Akuma. Uh, I mean, um, and this is not, you know, every uh, instance like, you know, where they added more whiff recovery, but just looking at our patch notes, they mentioned the word whiff. Some of it is actually, you know, they, they buff some characters who are weaker on whiff, which is kind of a weird thing, but it's mentioned 30 times in here. Uh, and where I'm going at with that is that Capcom was very acutely aware uh, of how big of a deal whiff punishing and footsies are, and they are trying to bring that much more to the forefront now and especially with the characters that got away with it very heavily which is you know your bisons rashids etc um there is a a conscientious effort to make that worse right and to make Mm -hmm. that a little bit like hey if you're going to do this you are going to potentially face some consequences from some better players and that is great to see it's just a type of thing where it's like look just don't sit there and whip buttons all day in neutral. Like that is not what we want to see. It's not good gameplay, uh, and especially you're now you're going to get punished for it. You know, on most characters, that's going to be a bad option for you. So I was very happy, along with you, to see this as well. Yeah, more whiff and less wish punishing. Yes, um, I I will point out that 
I don't know how much this is going to impact the meta of the game. I do think there's going to be a shift. I do think there's going to be a shift more towards neutral play and less of like, hey, I'm just going to do this move over and over again um, because of you know this impacting especially some of the higher tier characters, right? I think that is going to be a thing, but I don't think you're going to see this giant shift like from Street Fighter Five to like Street Fighter Four, you no. know, level footsies or anything like that. It's going to be like. I think even long term, like, you know, we, we talked about meta changes taking three to six months or somewhere around there to really hit kind of critical mass for the community. Uh, even then, I think you're looking at maybe an incremental step forward, just a tiny little step forward uh, of more footsie based kind of calculated play in this game. Uh, it's not going to be a gigantic change pretty much uh, unless they do something really drastic to the game, which did not happen. So and here's how I see it and kind of make sense of that part of the conversation they took away a lot of the just do it part of the normal gameplay, of, of the use of normals, of footsies. They didn't really take that away when it comes to special moves. Yeah. Um, and they didn't really take that away when it comes to V-triggers and activation. And that's where the a, a good majority of all of this just do it and um, the, the like a lot of the negativity that we say about Street Fighter V's gameplay comes from. But this is a significant part. Like I just said, mm-hmm. every single round, you're going to engage in some kind of footsie play almost every single round. And so, yeah, this is... Um, it's going to be like, I would say maybe a third kind of impact in this particular avenue of playing with intent. But it's not at all insignificant. Like you're going to notice and it's going to make the game a little better. And it... <laughs> It might cause the players that are not willing to play the footsie game and have been relying on these moves to resort even more so to just do it specials, I don't know, at least at first. So we'll see where things go, but hopefully it just translates to, no, the neutral play is, they still got the special moves, but at least when we're when we're dealing with normals and whiff punishing, that part of the game has leveled up. That makes sense to me. The other big thing uh, people are... I don't know if people are super talking about it yet, but I think they will be and they should be. I think they would be encouraged to be also because of IDOM winning Capcom Cup with Laura, but it's Laura. She was regarded as mid to low-ish tier for a long time after her knee got nerfed in season, after season two, right? She kind of fell off and has been just existing around the mid-ish tier as a robbery character that relies heavily on her V-trigger 1 that just goes crazy on you. And Idom showed that while that is absolutely an integral part of her and does get her far, you could also play with enough... Well, I'll just say it like this. Idom won Capcom Cup with her, so take that as you will. The character is, is halfway decent. But the community really didn't see that for a long time, and uh, I don't I don't think Capcom saw that, but they did hear the cries of the community because she got this huge list of buffs, you know, an hour or two after she took home the $250,000 first prize at Capcom Cup. And thus, like, I think the community should be super afraid because the character was already good enough to be the best in the world. Uh, and now she's like a, a candidate for number one. People are going to be playing her first and foremost, so they're going to they're going to find a lot of stuff with her r- fairly rapidly because you know when Idom wins with her, it's going to shoot her up the popularity ladder. And she's just got a ton of buffs. It's like this is one. She might be one of the top two, maybe the best in the game. But she's a candidate for being way up there as far as the paper right now. You know, so this is funny because Laura went from like criminally underrated 
to heavily overrated in the span of an hour, it seems like to me. And I, I actually went in there last night and played her. Uh, this is a character I mained in uh, season one. So I'm still fairly familiar with how she plays and what she does. Like, I'm not a top-end Laura player, but I can play her, right? I can play her at a decent clip. And I've, I, you know, I saw, like, the walk speed buff. And I'm like, oh, you know, that's, like, going to be significant. And, like, it feels basically the same as it did before. She got more health, which is always a thing. Um, she has a little bit more... Uh, um, um, range on her light sunset wheel, but it's also a little bit slower now, right? Um, I, and I look at the changes and I go, I think that they're going to help high level Laura players. I think that, you know, the hit confirms and all that kind of stuff they're asking you to do, they're not easy to do, but they're, they're possible to do. Um, and, you know, so you, you've got to be like kind of a punk level player or somewhere around there to, to, have that mastered to the point where it's going to make a big difference in the gameplay, if you ask me. And then, I mean, I played her a, a good, you know, five, six matches last night, and I noticed almost no difference at all. I did primarily use uh, V-Skill 2, and the thing about that, which, what you've been talking about a lot, is that takes away her dash, right? Her really fast dash, which is significantly powerful. Mm -hmm. And I did like her V-Skill too, because it lets her go into the air. Um, you, you pop V-Skill too, or you hit it, I should say, and then you hit kick or you hit punch. And the punch you know, throws a fireball, which is cool. Uh, it seems to be negative pretty much like everywhere I tried to land it. It just kind of seems like a way of approaching, basically. Uh, and then I did her kick, which you can combo like with stand light kick afterwards and stuff like that. But it seems negative on block. Uh, at least it was against Gil, who's fairly tall. So, you know, it might, your mileage may vary a little bit there, sure. but maybe it's a factor of not having enough experience with V skill two. I'm sure that's a thing, but I really missed V skill one a lot. Like that ability to dash in with this character is so powerful to get her up in your face. Her going into the air is nice. And especially in certain matchups, I, I'm sure that's going to be beneficial where she struggles heavily to get in on the ground. You're going to want that air option. Right, you're definitely going to want to be able to approach that way, but man, you are giving up so much in the way of setups and other things when you go to V skill two. So you go back to so what I'm saying with that is like I'm basically taking V skill two off the table as a buff, and then I look at her other buffs and I go, yeah, okay, sure, th those are good, but I'm not feeling it. Like I think this character was very underrated. I think you know th that's what uh, uh, Idom was able to prove very clearly, and I think that if she got no changes at all and they ported her straight over into season five with no other V skill, I think she would be jumping up the tier charts substantially based on that alone. Based on Idom's performance alone, people would be like, oh wow, we were really sleeping on this character. She's actually quite good and can perform at a high level. But since she got some buffs on top of it, now I think people are going, oh my god, like look out for Laura. She's going to be incredible. It's like. I, for myself, I'm not seeing it. She's better. 100% she's better. But I think the biggest buff that Laura got was Idom winning Capcom Cup. Well, you say that after Idom wins and people just naturally kind of look and, and if she doesn't get changed really at all and the other tier or the like the top tiers kind of get nerfed and fall down um, around her, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that kind of happened with this pat? I mean, to some, I mean, she's not. She's not, she was never great. Like she's still, no, no, I mean, do you feel like the top tiers got nerfed adequately in this patch? I think so. I, I mean, it's, it's really early, but on paper, um, without having played a lot, I think that's a fair statement. Sure. Right. Cause you said that she would climb the ladder quite a bit doing that, right? Oh, she just climbed the ladder scenario. quite a bit just because of Idom. <laughs> just literally because of sleep, uh, people sleeping on the character and not realizing her true potential that she's a, still a really good character. And I think that some characters are kind of criminally uh, underrated in this game. So where, where would you have put her in the previous season? Before Idom, I, I probably would have put her as mid-tier. And then after Idom, I probably would have had her around the top 15. And then top 15 plus, or I'm sorry, Idom plus 
the like huge like page and a half of, of changes that she got. Yeah. Now I mean, what does that put her at? I mean, again, I, I, I probably in the, about the same spot. Like I, I, I played with her last night. I really don't feel like her buffs are that substantial. Um, I, I mean, unless V-Skill 2 is like a, a big dark horse candidate for like really improving her. And I think that will improve some of her matchups. So maybe it bumps her up a spot or two. Maybe she goes, you know, from 15 to like 13, 14 or something like that. But a bunch of other characters got better around her too. And so we might have a situation where that fat middle of like, you know, like how many, you know, how many characters are mid tier, uh, 50 of them, you know, kind of thing and it's it, that can happen here with this game uh it, it's a little bit too early to say um but yeah yeah i think i don't feel the fear of laura yet um from playing and that's what i like to go off of the most when i'm kind of assessing these things but on paper and again we've seen paper before not be right at all but given that she was of capcom cup winning a caliber before and then she got like a ton a lot significantly more than a lot of the cast of little things here and there, and we know how strong a frame change can be. Mm-hmm. Laura got like all buffs and and changes, and yeah, I don't know if V Skill Two will be a thing. Uh, hopefully, it's not because if it's better than V Skill One, it's like wow, uh, great. That's that's super broken, <laughs> you know. Like, uh, so I don't think there's any way from where we stand now, unless the information kind of changes in some way, like she's going to be a top fiver, man. There's just, there's almost no way around it. And now with more people exploring her, they're going to find that potential faster. Everyone's going to be watching IDOM videos like crazy if they weren't before. And, uh, and it's like, there, just go look at the patch notes. There are so many, mm-hmm. so many buffs there. So I'm, I'm afraid. And I think, uh, I think the people should be a little bit afraid, but hopefully it's all good. And Capcom knew exactly what they were doing the whole time. So, yeah, I, I'm afraid of Item. I'm not afraid of Laura. So it's a, I, I, I still don't see it. Like, but I, I think she's going to be better, but I don't think she's going to be light years better. Um, but that's me. But yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. And then the last one that I have here, or no, I'm sorry, not the last one. Second to last one. Anti-airs that stopped cross-ups have been nerfed and people were pissed about it, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is specifically, we're talking like birdies, crouching medium punch, Mika's, I think it's crouching medium punch, right? Yeah. And th- those are both kind of little headbutt moves, and they seem to cover everything. G has it, too, with his Crouching Fierce Punch, and it has been visibly nerfed, but I don't know if it's to the same extent as... No, it, it, it probably is. I, the, he's the only one I haven't looked at. I just talked to Dream King about it. But from what he said, it sounds pretty close to what we experienced with both Birdie and Mika, and it's that their moves do what they're supposed to do now. They don't mm-hmm. cover the entire rainbow above their head. And that was that was silly. It's like it's not supposed to work that way, guys. And yeah, you've had it for a while. I was Nikali with anti-air jabs, uh, but I when it when it was gone, I was like, yeah, this is ultimately for the better of the game. That's not yeah. what this move is supposed to do. It's, it, this these are great for anti-air still, but they're not supposed to stop cross-ups. Like, come on, man. Like, you're gonna have to do different things. You're gonna have to air-to-air jump back or or block if you're in that kind of a situation, you know, or, or but you're going to have to use the appropriate tools for the appropriate places now. And yeah. so I think this is anyone that's like kind of pissed off about this, which I actually, to be fair, I, I saw a couple of posts and then you go into the comments and people are like, no, disagreeing with the poster who's saying this is ridiculous. And they, they murdered these characters and people are like, no, they didn't. This is exactly what we wanted. Uh, uh, shut up. <laughs> you know, get so. Rex scrubs. Yeah, it, it literally like, oh, uh, I have to know what life is like as a Nash player or someone else, like where I have to understand that there's more than one button I have to hit for anti-airing. 
You know, it's like, yeah, it's like this. Welcome to the life everyone else has been living for the last like three or four years. You jerks who had one button <laughs> anti antiairs that covered everything. Yeah, of course you love that because it was a crutch that got you by for a long time and you don't get it no more. Get wrecked. You don't got to think that's how it works. Uh, too bad for you. Yeah, I'm a little salty about that. It's just it's like I have to hit like about five different buttons to properly anti-air with Monat. That's that's my life. Right. And that's fine. I don't have any issue with it, but it's I like everyone to have to experience a little bit of that pain that I have to go through. So. So, yeah. Yeah. Not too much else to say about it, except yeah. for that. I think it was a very good change and uh, is, is very appropriate. Yeah, I, I will add that um, it. If there are other ones that you guys know of that Capcom did not touch, uh, like let us know. Like I mean, it's it's you know maybe like someone like Falk or something like that has something like that, and and, and it's okay, you know, because she's so low tier. But definitely with the higher end characters, if they've got those options that kind of cover that stuff, like give us a heads up about it, um, and you know we'll we'll try to you know put that out there and promote it and, and try to get that stuff nerfed properly down because it's just a bad look for the game. Like we, we don't need stuff that's like basically, you know, the, the anti-air jabs basically. We don't want that. It's a bad look. Let's get it out. So, yeah. The last thing that we talked about, and this was kind of, uh, I mean, well, there was actually a handful of videos, and I was kind of surprised because I didn't suspect that this would be something that the community gravitated towards uh, more so than other stuff. But we saw a lot of Abigail videos, mm -hmm. um, and specifically his V-Skill 2, which looks like it's a pretty good candidate for the number one V-Skill for this guy. The V-Skill 1, um, it's just the little ground pound thing that he does, right? That he, you see him do in the corner a lot of times. Was there more to it than that? Or do uh, you not, Abigail's you know, V-Skill 1 is his parry. Um, that's, uh, I forget the name of it offhand, but he, um, he kind of winds up and if you hit him at that point, he'll, he'll smack you and, and he'll be build V gauge and stuff like that. Oh, I thought it was the, the pound that you can do like indefinitely. Uh, no, no, that's not it. Well, you lose. I'm dumb. Anyways, uh, still this, I mean, the parry is kind of cool, but it's, it's like, yeah, you're, you often see people parrying jump-ins and things like that. And it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, you should probably be just anti-airing those. So to give that up for that, it's not the worst thing. Uh, and this gives him some really scary uh, ways to get close to you and make you freeze up and get you into his pressure. And that's exactly what Abigail wants. He turns around and calls a tire to come <laughs> rolling in. And it has a lot of startup, so that's kind of its weakness. But once it's out there, it is, uh, well, it rolls right at you. He can kick it and zip it, like, immediately at you, like a, just like a heat-seeking missile projectile straight at you. Um, but otherwise, it can just naturally hit you. And you can actually hit it and knock it up, and so can he. he. It never hurts him. He's always immune to it. But he can smack it up into the air. And I think you can juggle it, like, four or five times from what I saw. Um, before it it'll disappear and then if you block it i think it just naturally disappears but there was like one time where i feel like i got hit by it and then it bounced and hit me again it's kind of got some crazy stuff and i'm just thinking like the potential for this thing like the setups like say you get a hard knockdown or call it in and then get a hard knockdown something crazy like that he'll be able to like knock it up at a certain distance away from you and it'll be this weird like crazy interactions that he can then follow up with you know actual pressure from his own moves and things like there seems to be a lot potentially to do with this move here and and then also the the basics of well if you freeze up because you know you have to block it he gets to get in he gets to command grab me things along those lines it seems like a pretty strong thing um oh and i think it's uh he'll ca he can cancel out of ex abigail punch into it so Ooh. that's kind of what you want to do because I mean, even if you don't, like on block, I think, you know, it'll it'll still come out for safe activation. And so you spend a bar of meter, but 
that's cool because now you get to you know essentially kind of be in or at least get a good chance of getting in. So it looks like a pretty strong thing. It might buff Abigail significantly. Again, mm-hmm. we'll have to see. Not going to put it in a box, but uh, it's looking pretty sexy. Yeah, um, to, to clue readers in for the uh, frame data on this, it's got 29 frames of startup, and then it has 76 total frames of recovery. So when you guys are saying, like, yeah, this sucker takes a while to recover, it's like basically a second and a half, uh, more than a second and a half of recovery, I, or total you know animation on it, where I believe is vulnerable. Um, so we're going to have to play with this quite a bit. Uh, I do think that, again, most people do like keeping Abigail full screen away from them. Uh, that's a good strategy for a number of fighters. And, and this is kind of what he's going to be doing when you get him full screen now you know and and it's another way for him to really viably get in it seems like uh the setups off it look good um you know setups in training mode as we just talked about are one thing uh setups in an actual match we will see um history is not too kind to the lab monsters having a one-to-one direct port of all their setups kind of working perfectly right but of Mm -hmm. course you know we do see a number of that technology funnel into the tournament scene and competitive scene and work really really well you know so it's it's uh, it's kind of like a 50-50 prospect, you know, for lack of probably a better uh, odds ratio there uh, of like the technology that we see implemented uh, on Twitter and other places like actively be a big thing in matchups and tournament. So um, so there it is. But I, I look at this and I go, this fits the character really well. It was I laugh because Dream King outright wrote an article about this exact thing uh, that he wanted to get Abigail a tire that he could throw at the opponent <laughs> or roll at the opponent. Uh, literally, Capcom added it in. Uh, shout outs to you guys listening out there at Capcom. We do appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, I, I love the Monat v or 2 buffs. You guys are the best company of all time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, but um, but yeah, it's it's fun. Like, um, and, and we're going to be back to this stuff. Like it, This is like what we're seeing initially. There are a million changes in the game. There is so much stuff that we need to unpack. We're going to be doing that here for our listeners and readers on the website, trying to figure out like the, the best way to kind of make all this stuff digestible. Uh, I don't know how many people out there have read through every single patch note and fully digested it and all that kind of stuff. That's a lot of information there. You were you know, uh, talking about a few characters being like quite the handful to wrap our brains around. Um that's what we're here, we're here for. We're going to be doing that. We're going to really be getting into this probably every week for quite some time until we feel like we have a really good grasp of the game. Uh, and, and there it is. So cool. All right. So moving on now, uh, we do want to get into what happened with Capcom Cup. Uh, obviously, some people were very upset uh, at the tournament. And uh, I, I should say watching the tournament from home. Uh, when you and I were there, uh, it was actually a great experience. Like overall, we really enjoyed it. Um, but but I want to address you know the elephant in the room first off, and just kind of say like why the tournament turned out why it did. And uh, the the main thing that I can think of is that Tenno Productions um, they were unavailable for the event this year. Um, uh, this is a source with knowledge of the situation. They they told us you know at the event that that Tenno um, was just basically unavailable. If, for those who do not know, 10-0, uh, they handle a number of great events in the FGC, like prior Capcom Cups, Evo, other CPT events. They are very good at their jobs, and they were unable to do Capcom Cup for whatever reason. Um, as such, Capcom brought in another group to run the show this year. Uh, I'm not going to name who that other group was because that would put them on blast heavily because I know a lot of people were very unhappy with how that went and it's not really our style. If you want to find out which group streamed the event, you can go ahead and easily look that up online. Uh, it's just like, we're not going to really put that group on blast. Um, it was a, an unfortunate situation that happened. Um, but yeah, but I, I want to start off the discussion with that because one of the main FGC groups being unavailable to stream and run the event is a very sizable part of the problem that happened this weekend. Yeah. So, 
but there was a stream, you know, for the the standard, you know, Saturday Sunday, but not for the LCQ, right? And right, so it's like, how right. does how does it how does someone available not one day and day okay, it's a it's a great question. So that gets me into my next uh, subject here uh, because another source with direct knowledge of how things went down outright told me that Capcom's plan all along was not to stream the LCQ. This was not a last minute decision. It was not a you know, like, oh, you know, maybe we could do this, maybe we can't. This was decided apparently a good ways in advance. Um, and the reason why uh, I was told was due to low viewership. Um, and even though the venue was cited as an issue in some public statements, I was told by Capcom they could have booked the rest of the venue to run stuff in. And we were there. The venue was certainly big enough to, to house everything. Again, being there, as I mentioned at the very get-go, it was awesome. It was a great event to be there. There was plenty of room. They were kind of like three or four separate areas you could go into. Um, they all had TVs. It was actually it was really like nice. like an eight or nine out of ten for sure. Yeah, it was It was really great when you were there. Um, but yeah. Got to see all the matches, even the ones played off stream. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, um, so the LCQ uh, not being streamed, uh, you know, being decided like last minute, again, I just want to reiterate that was not the case. Uh, so I spoke with them actually about having clearer messaging up front, uh, like, you know, with the fans, like, okay, you know, it wasn't decided last minute, but how come you didn't tell people until the last minute that was happening? And, and they felt that it was weird to have an announcement of a not announcement to happen, right? Like, oh, we're not going to be streaming the LCQ. So here's an announcement of that. Right. And, and I, I think in hindsight, they probably would have put that out there in some way, shape or form, like, you know, like a Twitter message or, you know, maybe in the press release at the very end, they're like, hey, the LCQ will not be streamed this year or something like that. Um, I think that would have been a better way to handle it. But that's hindsight's 2020. Right. When you see a, you know, a, a bomb going off on social media and all that kind of stuff, it's easy to say, oh, wow, that's going terrible. Right. But sometimes you don't anticipate the stuff uh, correctly and see that that's going to blow up and be as big of an issue as it was, right? And, uh, and you know, their thought was like, you know, if we announce this, people are going to be even more mad because, like, we're not announcing something. We're basically saying something is not going to happen. Screw you, assholes, you know, kind of thing, instead of just kind of letting it go, so. Yeah, and will they will they even bring it back now that the, uh, the people have obviously expressed that they want it very much, but... I mean, do they bring it back next year? Because at the end of the day, their reasoning was a business decision. Is I, I guess they, they it had low viewership, so it's like, well, yeah. we don't want to spend the uh, resources on creating it if it's going to have low viewership. And so, and whatever that number is, their their threshold for it being a success versus not, it's like it's not going to hit that. And so, as hype as people say they are, I mean, I guess it's like a a small number. Uh, of people that are hype enough to care about it and, and say something about it. But I don't think it's like, it's kind of Capcom's prerogative uh, in, yeah. in this sense. It's like, it would be nice if they acknowledge the fans that, that are there to watch it. And there are, I, it feels like there's a significant number, but apparently not to them. And it's like, who's going to stop them, you know, because, yeah. because we still watched the rest of the event and we still like got super hype about it and we're still playing street fighter. And actually for all the negativity that happened, like at the end of the day, uh, someone on Best of Five in the chat said it yesterday. Capcom uh, failed or fell forward, they, and, and and it was a success. And I don't necessarily agree that it was a failure. I think there were some problems with it, but I say it's a that that's 
it's a success. They they left there with people looking at their game, and they left there people uh, playing their game and excited to talk about what had happened and the positives that had happened. The story of Punk doing so well until the very end. The story mm-hmm. of Idom getting life changing amount of money and doing it with the spectacular style with Laura and Poison. The re- you know the reveal of of Seth and what they've chosen to done with to do with um, that character. Kenny Omega being goofy but doing a very effective job on the stage for people and kind of speaking almost as like a chorus for the people that wanted to super kick Ono in the face and at least part of them did it's like there was a lot of good that happened and it, and they yeah. left when people think of Capcom Cup there's certainly the bad to be pointed out but they're not what their actions are right now and what they're really doing right now is like they're playing the crap out of Street Fighter 5 and they're investigating it and it's just like it's yeah. the Monday afterwards and we're playing Street Fighter again and we're excited to see what everyone has and it feels good and the reactions are pretty positive so far um, save for fear of the Rashid thing but people are talking with their actions and ultimately it's a success they're not distracted by something that happened at Capcom Cup they're excitedly um, focused on the game and that's a that's a good thing to address as well because in the the heat of the moment, right, with the LCQ not being streamed and all that kind of stuff, like it's easy to get you know super pissed off and whatnot. Um, and but when the dust settles, like everyone's kind of moved on and they're playing Street Fighter Five. I'm not hearing a lot of people talk about it. It's why we bumped this segment to the second segment instead of you know we want to talk about Street Fighter Five first because that's what everyone cares about the most right now. They don't care about the LCQ not being streamed, but you know who cares about the LCQ being streamed or not is the person who has to foot the bill for all that stuff to happen uh, because. They're sitting there with I don't even want to guess how much money that they have to put out for it, but we're going to get into the details of that of why certain things happen at the event. But there's a very real cost to all the stuff that is associated with it that it, it's a business at the end of the day. And I get people being upset about it, but just because you're upset about it doesn't mean it makes good business sense to do some of this stuff, right? Yeah. And there's a there's a lot of tit for tat we could go with there, like okay, we'll bring in a cheaper group to do it and do this and do that and all that. Um, but you know, it's yeah, so um, the community was down though. Like they yeah. have, they were in Southern California. They had, you know, I, I don't know if Alex Valle, uh, uh, like, or someone like him, like Level Up, uh, uh, offered their services, but they had plenty of offers from plenty of capable people that have proven themselves to to run this. You know, you can do it on Capcom Fighters, but like, I'll bring my stuff. And and sure enough, we had like forty streams in there of people just doing it from their own, kind of this grassroots little movement thing. Which was kind yeah. of so I want to I actually do want to address that because I that was talked to me about as well and and so we did have stuff happen and that people are also mad about was stuff being ran off stream you know the loser bracket matches and whatnot uh, and Capcom had started running uh, out of time on Saturday. It was very clear things went very long uh, with, you know, everything they had had planned. uh, And they either needed to make the matches two out of three format or start running stuff off stream. And they made the choice to to do stuff off stream. And um, I mean, I think of the two choices. I think that's the right one to make. Um, But then the first question that comes up is like, why did they think that the two out of three thing would ever be a thing in the it's 2019? And we've had this conversation. Ask NRS and and all the other. I mean, it's like. Why is that even a question right now? Like, how do they not know uh, that to begin there's with? Because there, there's a giant bill that someone's going to have to foot here uh, if if you don't run stuff on time. And the reason why is this was mentioned by the commentary team um, that they they need to pay people overtime when, when things start running long. 
And some people might be able to get away with, you know, not doing this for a variety of reasons. Like in the FGC, most people are independent contractors and all that kind of stuff. But with Capcom staff who are employees and the Novo staff, uh, all that kind of stuff, that's a real and significant cost with security stream and other staff factored in. And security is very important. We had, um, I don't want to go into a lot of details about this, but you know, we had an esports incident where someone brought a gun to the venue and ended up shooting other players. Uh, that is about the biggest black, the worst than a black eye. It's about the most horrific and just terrible thing that could happen at your event. We have to have security in this day and age, and they have to be good security. They can't be kind of like whatever type thing. If that happens at another event, it's just it can't happen. And yeah. those people cost money. Those people cost good money to have in there. Uh, and my guess would be there's about 50 to 100 people running things at the Capcom Cup. Um, and if you consider salaries in your head and then look up overtime laws and you start calculating how far Capcom went over, those expenses start to add up really, really, really quickly. Uh, I run my own business here. Um, and I always tell the staff, you guys already know, uh, it's like, hey, uh, you can do overtime. Just like try to limit it. you know. And there's certain types of parts of the year where I'm like, no overtime, guys. Don't freaking work over. Come back to stop where you're at don't work over come back tomorrow and then there's certain parts of the year where it's okay right but uh, i'm sure most people here who have held down work before it's like uh, some places are adamant that you do don't ever do overtime right. right so so three out of five for 32 players doesn't fit in two days or at least not if you're also going to do sfl which actually ended up happening super late so i, I can yeah. i can i can hear that that it's yeah. not going to fit in two days um and you really only have two days because hey it's the weekend it's and and trying to extend it out further than that is is no bueno yeah. sure well they've done two streams in the past you know so it's everything's just like wham bam 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 like yeah. you can get it done like i, I don't know and you know and, what and exactly why and, and that's my exact answer to that question is like well why didn't you run two streams we've done it in the past and other stuff like that and i go back to my original point of tenno productions who handles a lot of this stuff and knows the logistics and the inside out was not available and they brought in people who are not veterans of the fighting game community who don't understand this stuff on a nuanced and dedicated level. And they look at it and go, sure, I think we could pull this off, you know, kind of thing versus people who are highly experienced and highly knowledgeable. Um, it's there's your difference. Just, and, and yes, Capcom feels like it. it's done some great things and it, it offers some great things as a company. Like it has good ideas and it does them. Uh, but just every at every turn, especially recently, it feels like its ability to communicate with the other entities that it needs to communicate with. It's you know, it's streamers, it's community that follows it and plays it. Capcom USA versus Capcom Japan, like all the communication, like the the, the people at the Novo, the working the the venue with them, like they're just not able to do that and it causes so many problems where you don't feel like there should be problems. But like that's been Capcom's like. I don't Achilles heel or just like weakness for as long as I've been working here. And the thing is, is like it, when you have staff turnover, that's what happens. And we already know Michael Martin is leaving. Um, I believe he's officially left Capcom now. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago where uh, Matt Dahlgren, Peter Rosas, Hans, uh, Andy Wong, a bunch of other great people um, ha have left. You know, uh, Mike D is gone now. Um, I mean. <laughs> When you have that amount of turnover, you you lose a lot of the corporate knowledge that's built up over the years of how this stuff needs to run. And I don't think the it's just hard. It's just hard when you don't have that experience and, and in depth knowledge of of how things can go wrong and where they typically go wrong. And and it's just staff turnover is really hard to deal with. And and that's it. I mean, it's 
Uh, it's a very unfortunate set of circumstances. I um, There's plenty of blame to go around. I'm a big advocate of the phrase that um, uh, failure is an orphan and success has many parents. You know, it's uh, everyone wants to take, you know, uh, the success and, and attribute it to themselves. And then when things go wrong, very few people will jump on that grenade. And at the end of the day, I spoke with a lot of Capcom staff members. I, I'm sitting throughout this stuff like source here, this here, that here. I spoke with a lot of people at Capcom to kind of piece this stuff together uh, of like what happened and what didn't. It's I will say on this note that that Capcom is listening um, we don't always like the answers and they don't always have good answers to give. Um, but I want to make it very clear that Capcom pays close attention to the masses when it comes to this kind of feedback. You saw statements from Ono, you saw statements from Capcom fighters about, Hey, we apologize. We hear you guys loud and clear. Um, there it is. It was a flat out acknowledgement of stuff that goes wrong. And you and I have called out Capcom many times about their lack of communication, about how they don't do this stuff. And it's like, how many times did we see them actively communicate over this weekend? It was uh, it was kind of unprecedented, I think, for a stream of them to, to talk this much about what happened. Uh, just basically does not happen. So. Yeah, I think they're making some movement in the right direction, although there's for two steps forward and was it one and a half back or so yeah. with uh, with their progress and such. But I will say that at least I, I don't know everyone that works at Capcom USA, but I know a handful of people and they're, you know, haven't been there for forever. Uh, so there's some of the new guard and such, and those that are there right now, I, I have faith in that can do a good job. I think they're people with strong character and... Um, and so it's not all in their hands to begin with, but for what they are um, in control of, I do have some pretty strong faith in those individuals. Again, I don't even know the entire team, so but there's a little bit of a silver or, or a little bit of hope for it to get mm -hmm. better. And we have seen examples, like you say, with Ono talking more and, and Capcom obviously listening and making a lot of the changes based on the way the community has reacted negatively. And they've, they've been doing well. Like think about after the... <laughs> After the eight months of silence, we've had Evo, then we've had the North America Regional Finals, and now Capcom Cup. And as far as the like evolution of Street Fighter V through those things, things is going pretty well. And the communication there and the fun and the hype that started to come out of the reveals and such, it's going well. Now, yeah. of course, they do well, and then the step and a half backwards is they shoot themselves in the foot with scheduling and streaming and stuff, but there has been progress made. So I, I'm... I'm, I'm I'm going to stick around, as we've all said about a million times, because here, here we are, and yep. see if things don't get better. Yeah. I mean, keep in mind, Kenny Omega came out and he made a joke that was really on point about the LCQ not being streamed, and then he kicked Ono in the face, or the neck, or whatever, <laughs> and stuff like that, and Ono landed on a damn table. Like, I, I don't know how well that was streamed, but I watched Ono's back hit the table. I'm glad he was okay, because I'm sure, you know, Kenny Omega worked with him on how to fall, you know, like how to do the wrestling stuff and all that kind of stuff, but it looked like he cracked his back pretty decently, and I'm like, oh, I really hope he's okay there, but that was scripted, and that was Capcom signing off and saying like, hey, I'm going to let you go ahead and kick me in the face because of how bad we kind of mess this up and whatnot. Uh, I'm not saying that rectifies everything, but that is an awareness of them understanding what is going on. Um, and we have voices in the room. Uh, Capcom knows who we are. A uh, bunch of staff members came up to talk to us we, and, and, you know, engaged with us to let us know what was happening and stuff. They didn't have to do that. You know, they don't have to come on and talk to us and let us know, like, what's happening. But they know that we have a voice in the room and they, in, they are reading your voices on Twitter and in our comments and other places like that. They, they do care immensely about this stuff. But it's not always easy to just flip a switch and make it all happen, right? It's not always just like a, a simple thing of... of, of 
you know, like, hey, this is magically going to go down and whatnot. Uh, it's 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 hard. This stuff is hard, uh, and you need great people to do it. And, and but there are reasons why stuff fell apart, right? And that's that's mainly what we wanted to get into today. Is like. I get why people are mad, but here are the explanations of what happened. Um, and there's plenty of problems, but there's also plenty of ways of fixing that going forward. Um, but it also mean it might mean like in the future, like maybe the LCQ is only streamed for a couple hours. Like maybe we only get the top eight or top 16 because it's just not financially viable to have that big of a venue rented out for something that doesn't bring in the traffic. And that's not and, a bad compromise. Top yeah. eight, top 16. I think people would stomach that. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, people might set like the Pocky challenge. I'm like, why do you have to? Well, that's a sponsorship deal that helps pay for the entire Capcom Cup. Pocky was all over the place. Uh, and we'll get into it here in a little bit uh, of like us playing it and stuff like that. But that is a sponsorship deal that Capcom has to honor and do a good job with um, are like the business start of, uh, part of things that like, falls apart. And we have advertising all up and down our website. That's like what we do. That keeps us in business. That's how we make our money. And without that, we're not we don't have a business no more. You know, and and so it's really important with all this stuff that that people understand the context of everything. And I get not liking some of the things, but the Pocky Challenge is why we have that great venue, and it's why we have you know the the quarter of a million dollars going into the CPT and all that kind of stuff. It's not the entire reason, but it is a part of the reason. But I don't want it. It's the suits and advertising <laughs> and uh, but it's like yeah, guys, you you got to give up a little bit, and it it is possible to go too far. But also, it affords a lot of cool things, and you can't throw it. Out. You can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, yeah. like you can't just say it's it's all bad, and we have to get rid of it. It's like no, you get rid of that, and uh, you got it. You're gonna yeah. lose a lot. What branding is on your shoes and on your t-shirts and all that other kind of stuff? It's like that's all marketed, bought, and paid for. That is part of the ecosystem, and it, it just it is how things work. Uh, the the details of how things work is you know that that could definitely be a thing. You know, and, and there's there's ways of optimizing that and making it more uh, less intrusive and stuff. Um, but but yeah, it, it's. We're going to look at next year. You know, next year is going to be a Capcom Cup in France. Um, and that's going to be, you know, quite interesting. Let's see what they do. Uh, I do expect changes. Um, I mean, but the changes are already coming because we already know the 2020 format is going to be quite a bit different than we, we've seen in the past. Um, but that is like a giant enchilada of details there, uh, which we'll get into <laughs> at a later a later time because we would be excuse me, we would be here for another like three or four hours just like kind of unpacking all that stuff that it means. Um but I do want to, uh, before we wrap this up here, uh, I'm going to, you know, kind of throw out little hints here uh, of another future topic that we're going to be getting into for sure. Uh, and we've talked on before, and that's Street Fighter V's lifespan. Um, one of the Capcom staff members that I spoke with uh, at, at Capcom Cup, uh, they had told me that Street Fighter V is an older game at this point. And Capcom is not unhappy about the attendance being lower for events and stuff and, and the viewership being lower. It's kind of expected. This is an important thing to keep in mind as the flag is definitely not being waved for the game yet, but there's a clear acknowledgement of Street Fighter V's age being put out there now by Capcom. Um, it, not publicly, but it's happening. You know, they're aware of it and all this kind of stuff. And that to me is a very big indicator that this game is, you know, much like we've talked about on its probably last year or two of life. Uh, this could very well be the last year of life. You know, um, we're hearing some rumors of 2021. Uh, we've already put out there 2021, 2022 for Street Fighter VI is very likely, right? Like we've already uh, mentioned that before. Uh, but now we are starting to hear that echoed in different places. So I did want to throw out there that that's a, a big discussion for another day. Uh, but that is definitely one of the, the bigger nuggets I took home um, from from the event that that Capcom is fully aware of Street Fighter V's lifespan. And they're kind of OK with where the game is at, you know, given all that kind of stuff. 
So. Yeah, there was also, I think, a note. Um, I uh, this is something I'm going to uh, investigate on the uh, the Capcom Pro Tour site in the update. They talk uh, about how the uh, the reigning Capcom Cup 2019 champ will once again have an auto qualifying spot. However, the winner of Capcom Cup 2020, so there's going to be a 2020, uh, won't be able to get qualified for Capcom Cup 2021. Which hey, there's a 2021 plans. Yep. Uh, what happened? The, when did that happen last time? It was when Kazunoko won Capcom Cup 2015, which was a Street Fighter 4 event, and the transfer was into a new game, Street Fighter 5 in 2016. So people are seeing that and kind of taking away that this hints that maybe the uh, the Pro Tour is going to become a different game in 2021, um, and that would, like you're saying, kind of fit where things are kind of flowing right now. So. Yep. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot there, and I, we'll definitely touch on it again. But we, we've talked about that so much in the past, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Uh, but uh, I do want to mention that the second player setup was potentially lagging for a number of players. Uh, I was watching Angry Birds match, and at one point he jumped up, um, very pissed off, uh, out of his chair and was shouting and waving his arms. Like I was like, "Holy!" Like I'm like, "What? What the hell is going on?" Um, and then after Grand Finals, Punk was actually saying there was a problem. Uh, Zenith and Momochi apparently cited problems with it, too. Um, now, a bunch problem of other... Next. Oh, did he? Okay, I, mm-hmm. I didn't see him. Um, yeah. A bunch of other players played on the same setup and didn't say anything, right? So maybe the problems were intermittent. Uh, I, I'm definitely not questioning the five players um, who all you know have issues on the same side there, especially competitors at that level with that many stakes on the line, like that have played a billion matches, you know, type thing. I, I, I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm just wondering if the problems were maybe intermittent and hard to kind of track down and see like where it was going. Um, and my point here is that these things happen. And I think the solution is having more checks and balances in place to try and ensure that it doesn't, you know, take place any more in the future is are limiting it as much as we can in the future, because this is a reality. These are basically computers we're playing on computers overheat. They have problems. That is a fact of life. Same thing with monitors. People will know I'm not fond of the PS4 here on the podcast. I have spoken about that many times. Um, but I am also not on the production side of things. So I don't know all of the, the activities you can do um, that are reasonable are not reasonable in those kind of situations. Uh, but they did start rebooting the PS4s to try and help. You know, they were taking breaks and stuff like that. Uh, there were a few other things. Um, I think they swapped the PS4 out completely when Angry oh, Birds stopped. Yeah, like yeah, it okay. was a one-to-one, I think it was. And he actually, like, like, for one thing, the players that said something afterwards, I'm less likely to, or there's a there's a bigger uh, gray area there because they didn't say anything the entire game. The fact that Angry Bird said something in the middle of it speaks a little louder to me, and that's not to say that those that I, I do think that there was obviously problems there, and I I suspect that all of them uh, experienced those, and I do think they were intermittent, and I, it's probably because of just how many different kind of cables and splitters and all that stuff is, is being used simultaneously when you're at Capcom Cup. You know, it's those two, and then it's the stream, and then, you know, we saw a billion screens with Street Fighter, and I don't know exactly how much different this would be than, like, a standard, if at all, standard venue. Hopefully it's different because uh, they're having problems at it, and it, if, if it's the same, then it's like, oh, man, it's, it's entire other problem but they had this last year too this happened with yeah. uh, chris t said something and i think yeah. one other player said something but i, I don't yeah. remember who off the top of my head um but yeah like this has been an issue at capcom cup at two different venues uh, so that's kind of funky too 
Yeah, I, and and that's it's a fact of life is kind of what I'm getting at. Uh, whether it was the consoles or the consoles or the monitors or something else um, that was causing it, who knows? Um, and you know we have button checks in the community for a reason. And what we might be looking at in the future, if this becomes a bigger deal and you know keeps happening, is we might be looking at like input leg, you know, checks and whatnot, and you know testing that before matches happen and stuff. Sure. Uh, and that means more time between matches. You know, to oh, is the input delay good? You know, type thing. Because look, if if I've worked all year for Capcom Cup and I get up there and I lose in five minutes, and, and because of latency, I'm going to be pissed off, right? Like I haven't worked all year, but. Every single time I go up, like, am I, is that going to get tested now? All this kind of stuff. Like, and we just talked about, you know, going over and, and the time and the expenses and all that kind of stuff that gets factored in. And I go, it's an issue, but I don't think it's an issue our community is ready to tackle at a high level yet. It could happen, but I think that it's going to have to be bigger blowups here before that comes down. And I think it's just going to be something the players have to deal with. And it, it sucks. It, it's definitely not a situation I think anyone wants, but it's also like, what's the alternative right now? You know, and and I think it's just, you know, hey, you know, reboot the consoles, do a few other things like, you know, make sure the consoles are rebooted, like maybe keep a fan on them to make sure they're extra cool. I I would have an extra one extra stream station console and then because they did like what it was like three matches and then they do a break. Maybe every other break swap the consoles out and to keep some cool, you know, something like that. If that if overheating was the problem, but this sounded sort of like an overheating sort of thing. And that they mean that you're going all day long. They probably just left the PS4 going all day long. How could you not, you know, at this point, those things aren't infallible. So yeah, and I mean, again, I I want to be fair to Sony here, it could be really, really could be the monitors, you know, it could be a bunch of other things. It could be how they have the setup configured and all that kind of stuff. It could be a bunch of things that are going on that are taking place. It's like, it's, uh, um, it's a head-to-head setup, you know, it's not like, you know, the normal setup, like both things are wired into each other, so each player has their own viewing area. There's a lot that could go wrong, but anyway, uh, let's see what happens in the future with that, mm-hmm. but we've hit on a lot of negative things that people didn't like, uh, but again, I, I do want to mention that we had a great time there. Uh, John, I know that you actually saw Ono uh, have a little bit of a, a funny <laughs> incident, like try to check in, can you go into that for our listeners? Right. So at one point during the the LCQ day, I left and I came back. And when I came back, um, there was a, a couple of like a, a bunch of Japanese people from Capcom. They had like special Capcom badges and such. But they had brought with them uh, um, suitcases. And going through security, that made it take way longer. So and and they also had to go through like a translator. So the whole thing, I ended up being down there uh, waiting by the elevators for like twenty or thirty minutes. And about 10 minutes in, Ono shows up wanting to get in as well. So we ended up, like, you know, after that traffic jam, going up at the same time because a bunch of people did um, collect it all together. And so when I got into the venue, which was the, this was the LCQ day, so it was filled, it was like the nightclub part of things and uh, very congested and such. But I ended up walking to the restrooms, and um, this is on, like, the opposite side of the entrance. And Ono did as well, but he wasn't going to the restrooms. He was going to what I think was, like, the, uh, the media room or the green room for the day, which, like... Um, there was a couple different tiers of access. There was like general, and then we had VIP, but I, we still couldn't get in there. Um, that was for like all access only or something like that. And Ono, I noticed his badge just said Ono on it. Like he had a special one, but it was like, I guess they assumed that like everyone would know who Ono was. Well, we get there and he starts to talk to the security guy who's kind of stops him from uh, going in. And I go, huh, interesting. And I go in to uh, go to the restroom, come out uh, 45 seconds later or something like that. And uh, he's still there, like, t- trying to talk to the guy. And I can't hear what they're saying. It's like a loud club or something like that. But I'm, what I'm thinking was, what it looked like was 
The guy didn't know who Ono was, and he didn't have the right kind of badge. So he kind of stiff-armed him and kept him out of the green room for a while. And, uh, and and Ono wasn't able to articulate in English, and the dude was just a Novo employee, right? So it was funny that that like like Ono of all people seemed to be uh, stiff-armed out of the uh, the green room. Yeah, get wrecked, Ono. Sorry again, about that. <laughs> again, like communication, Capcom. Let the Novo people know who should get in and out. But it's just kind of a funny, goofy little thing that happened there. Yeah. I will say on the note of Ono that uh, he actually sat there the majority of the weekend because we had balcony seats with him. Uh, so we're sitting like right behind him. And um, he sat there uh, on Saturday and Sunday almost the entire weekend just watching matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, not on his phone that much, not talking to people a lot, just sitting there watching and seeing what's happening. And I'm like, that's cool. Like, that's really cool that like at the end of the day, like the, you know, the, the, um, the main Street Fighter guy is a huge fan of the game itself. It wants to see how it's evolving and how it's going. And he literally just was taking it all in. And it's like, I'm sure the guy has 50,000 things to do. And he's like, no, I want to watch the matches. You know, I want to, you know, check this out. I'm like, I really appreciated that as a, a fan of street fighter as well, you know? So, yeah, um, and he took a chair and a sweet chin music for us. So. Exactly, exactly. So uh, I, 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 you mentioned this before. I know the stream uh, for the LCQ wasn't ideal, but uh, it was awesome how many FGC members stepped up to do what they could. Right. Uh, mm. I personally watch people out put their cell phones up in front of them for 20 minutes straight, trying to hold it as steady as possible in their hands. Uh, and for those who have never done that, I encourage all of you to try it out right now to see how not fun that is. Because you're like, oh, yeah, like a minute or two, like, but 20 minutes of doing, oh, your, your arms start to hurt. And they did this for hours upon hours. Some people had really cool setups that, you know, automated it for them, but a lot of people were doing it by hand just to have that out there. And, and, this was done for the FGC. It wasn't done for any other reason. It's just like, hey, we want this stream. We want this in front of people. And it's so awesome, the passion and energy we have for this community. And it was a great reminder of that. Like, even though the venue was super crowded and all this other kind of stuff uh, for the LCQ, um, it was just like, damn, this is an old school FGC experience. Like before, like streams were readily available and all this kind of stuff. Like this is like you're freaking crowded around trying to get a view of, you know, the monitor and all that kind of stuff. And everyone's it just it was it was kind of a cool throwback, you know, despite the problems. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it was um, a little feel goody, you know, like yeah, everyone comes yeah. together and, and gets the job done for everyone else. And and it reminds you that we are still standing on those foundations, which is yes. nice. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I mentioned this before, so I'll, I'll go very quickly here, but Kenny, Kenny Omega was terrific all throughout the weekend. He should definitely be coming back uh, in all future years that he can do it. Uh, people were exhausted at on Saturday. We mentioned how long it ran and all that kind of stuff. Kenny comes out there with a ton of energy and is getting everyone going. I don't think, unfortunately, he was on stream. I, I really wish it, you know, it's, but I, I think the streamers were probably taking a break, right, at that mm. point. Um, but people are just worn down and he got the crowd going again. It was impressive watching him do his work. Like, he is just good at his job. And, and, and every year we can bring him back, we should. He is fantastic. Um, we've already mentioned the venue. Uh, it was fantastic, all that stuff. But I, I do want to note that um, they had casual setups again, and I think they had about five or six each and every day that were or out four. there. Four. Four. Okay, there it is. Um, uh, that people could go and play on. That is a really big deal to have people just be able to kind of funnel in and out and play some matches. You don't need a lot. You don't. It, it, the four of them, like they were a little crowded, but not bad. Like you could get in there and get games if you wanted to. Um, that is very important to all the tos out there. Make sure you have casual setups even on the final day, so people can continue to play. So they've got stuff to do if they don't want to watch every single match up there. 
So it'll keep people in the venue too. And yes. the people that would have played and then watched a little and then played or whatever. But if you don't have the setups, then a lot of people will be like, eh, I don't want to watch that much. Or I can watch my phone and go do something else, go get yeah. food and like go somewhere else, whatever. It'll keep people in your venue. And man, watching, you got to know, like all of us know, watching the game for a lot of people uh, makes you want to play, makes you want to yep. implement what you're seeing. Yep. And then, and so, yeah, the, the days of no casuals in there, it's like, please let those be over. Yeah. Uh, and lastly, uh, here, um, uh, there's actually uh, uh, a couple lastlies, but the, the, one of the main points I wanted to get to was Idom winning with mid-tier lower. We talked about it before, uh, and probably an underrated poison. Um, this is something I'm very adamant about. Uh, people know I like to play like kind of like uh, weird configurations and stuff like that. I always say, play who you want. You don't have to pick a top tier, and history shows that. But to hell with history, because this just freaking happened right now. You can win at the highest of levels with a lot of the cast. Um, I said this from the start. Uh, I really like Poison's potential in this game, and I'm definitely not calling her, you know, secret top tier or anything like that. But I think Idom showed that she's a pretty solid character in Street Fighter V. She's brand new, and and he covered some of Laura's, you know, uh, setups and situations with her. Uh, we already mentioned before, Laura's considered mid tier at best by pretty much everyone. I don't think I've seen a single person call her high, high or top tier in season four at all. You know, I, I, I have not seen it. And this man, he won a quarter of a million dollars life-changing money because he's the best mid-tier Laura player on the planet. And again, if there's a character you really enjoy and you want to play, even if winning at the highest levels is your ultimate goal, you can do it. Idom's proof of it. Sienna's proof. Snake Eyes is proof. There's a lot of players out there who have won at the highest of levels um and there's a brand new shining example of that right now um so don't feel you ever have to go to you know uh, top tier your road might be easier sure you know um that that can happen in some cases uh but you can also catch people by surprise who do not know the matchup at the highest of levels uh, i definitely saw item doing that to a few people throughout the weekend and we're talking about you know the best players around uh even daigo has admitted he lacks enough knowledge of characters like fong for example, to, to really compete with him at the, you know, the best rate he wants to, right? Um, so you've got to train to be great with those characters, but it 120% can be done. Yep. And he did have a little assist from Poison, and I think that's something that worth acknowledging. Most of the players, say for like Machibo and I don't know if anyone else, but most of the players in top eight were uh, jacks of multiple trades. They had multiple characters to, to get through there. Um, the other thing, Idom lost to Punk in the winner's bracket when he was on player two side. And then yeah, when I they played that. grand finals, he was on player yeah. one side and he beat Punk. So, uh, uh like... I, on that note, I did see, like, it seemed like Idom was, like, constantly hedging towards the one-player setup. Um, like, I'm going to take this and, like, you're on t player two side. Oh, I don't know about that. I'm just, I, I'm just being goofy. but <laughs> Oh, no, I, I'm being dead serious about it because I was watching because I was seeing the leg, you know, um, reports and stuff like that online. And I'm like, Idom's like, yeah, I'm not moving. I won here. I'm staying right here, you know, kind of thing. And I so th the people who say that side was lagging, I'm... I'm not discounting it at all, but yes. Yeah. Oh, I should also mention because, well, like Dakota messaged me on when they were talking about the lag on day one. And he's like, at the time that he had messaged me, it was earlier and they had only played like nine or 10 matches. And he's like, so far, everyone on the player one side has won. And oh, so we were wow. wondering about the thing. Well, here's the thing. When it all played out and was said and done, I think there was uh, 22 wins on player one and then 11 or 14 wins on player two. Okay. And then uh, and Ace King Offsuit did the, did the math and, and made the observation. 
but then also the uh, the players that were higher seeded won the exact same amount of times in the exact same spread, and they were playing mostly like down the the brackets at the beginning, and so the higher seeded player was player one, and then the lower seeded player was player two. So, uh, but what we concluded there was that with 22 and 14 that's not enough to be like an obvious like, oh yeah. it's obviously this is the problem so but i and again i'm not saying that there was lag um or that there wasn't lag i'm sure it was and i but it sounds like it was sporadic and um there you go yeah um it, man shout out to steve ace king offsuit he does great like statistics work and whatnot and that helps back up what we kind of see and so i i don't think it was a problem for everyone but i do think you know a problem for a few players but but yeah um, I will do a very quick and honorable mention here to the Pocky game. I know, I know, uh, I know people on stream hated it, but we actually played that stupid game for like three hours and had a blast. And I think it's a terrible viewing experience. I get that. Let me be very clear. Um, but I actually think the game is really fun to play casually and, and, and with how ridiculous it is. And I would actually like to see the game, like that mode patched into Street Fighter V as like a free option to play. Because uh, basically your life like recharges a little bit and scoring a K when you're in the pocket area get you like an instant win so it's actually a pretty fun mode to play like you know call it like life bar challenge or something like that um and i actually would like to see it in the game but that's all i'm going to talk about with pocky because i understand that people are you know not thrilled with it right now but uh well when we were sitting down playing that day you also almost immediately made the joke man this is the kind of place like this pocky station where we're at is the exact size and shape where you could put a stream station. Oh, no. Right? <laughs> you went so there. Yeah, people yeah. were a little upset about that. But even in that same vein, but on an, an even uh, larger scale, you spent how much time making this new Pocky game mode? And you mm-hmm. could have been making uh, the adjustments to, what, netcode or something like that? Now, hang on. It's not that simple. And yeah. I think a lot of people will make it that simple. Uh, so there's something to be said there. But... When this kind of thing pops up, that's where people's minds go, and that's the point. And yeah. so also if people start thinking that way, it's like, uh, but it comes right back to, yeah, but Pocky's paying the bills, man, so yep. you got to give some give and take there. You got to watch the Pocky challenge, or at least you got to stomach it. And can, do we have time for the Pocky challenge story that, my, that I oh, was sure, telling you? Oh, sure, go for it, yeah. So uh, there was a lot of negativity about just the Pocky challenge presentation, it being cringy and dumb and a waste of time or something like that. It was a break for the day. But it was also a chance to to do a little bit of uh, PR and, and, and get Kenny Omega out there and have mm-hmm. Pocky up on the screen. And it was probably the least painful way of doing so. Right, because you at least get this little bit of a show, and you had Kenny Omega, who's already an established entertainer, on the microphone, and that's what this was about. It was about looking. It was about being entertained. It wasn't about who who cares who wins the Pocky Challenge. It was about the little tiny adventure within. And then it's Rob TV, who's an up and coming player, who's very specifically and obviously expressed how he wants to be a personality, how he's all about, you know, like the back and forth, what Street Fighter League has been trying to do with interviews and smack talk and such. He's one of the perfect guys to throw up there with Kenny Omega, and it was about their back and forth. And it actually, when it first started, Dakota again texted me, he's like, Dude, the, the internet's blowing up over this about how much they hate it. What's it like there? And I was like, oh, I was playing casuals at the moment, didn't yeah. care, thought it was goofy, and I looked around, most people on their phones. Well, halfway through, Kenny Omega's talking smack, and I'm looking up, and 
Rob TV has an opportunity. He misses his, his first opportunity to say something where they were supposed to just have a back and forth. And I was like, oh no, Rob, grow your brand. You're supposed to do that. This is your golden opportunity. But then in the next couple, he picks it up and he starts He starts to play, he starts to dance with Kenny basically. And that got interesting. Mm-hmm. So then I stand up, I start watching and Rob's taking it away because he's an established player and Kenny Omega is just, you know, out there doing actual fighting all the time, right? Or well, wrestling. And, but Kenny Omega starts to bring it back. Like he wins some, it's a gimmicky pocky challenge, right? So he gets some stuff like that. And all of a sudden they have one minute left and they're, it's like three to four and Kenny Omega might be able to tie it if he wins this one last round. And it was also for some reason on a timer. It's like they had 10 minutes to win as many uh, rounds as they could via the pocky challenge way or whatever. Not important. Point is the, the time was counting down. So it was going to be the last round. Well, Kenny Omega hits Abigail's super, and the animation is long enough so that his life bar is regenerating, and it's a photo finish as to whether or not the life bar gets within the win zone or if it's just too quick and and he wins, but it's not when it's in the, the little pocky challenge zone or whatever. And it's like right about to happen. And I'm on the edge of my seat. I was standing, but you know what I'm talking about. And so was everybody like, yeah, it didn't matter, but it was super cool in the moment. And it, and we were in for a minute enveloped into this goofy little wrestling story, right? Which is what it was. And they cut away to look at the stage camera. All the hype gets sucked out of it. James Chen, who was also the the MC on the stage, goes, and he gets it. It's a Pocky KO. But everyone is distracted by the fact that the camera has changed. No one can see what's actually happening. And the hype just gets sucked out of the moment. So the whole reason why you would do this thing, to, to get this feel-good moment with your uh, advertiser's brand across the stream in front of everybody's face is kind of like they, they did everything right and then they for no reason tripped at the finish line because the the and it's an understandable the way it played out was kind of complicated but it was just yet another like ah uh, stiff arm oh no to keep him out of the green room drop the ball at the last minute with the pocky challenge like uh getting in front of your getting your own way yeah it's uh and that that was capcom cup uh um 2019 it was i think we had some really awesome things and i think we had some really bad things and I don't think there's anyone walking away from this uh, Capcom, uh, the streamers, anyone and, and saying like this was just a complete grand slam, knocked it out of the park, everything was perfect. I think a lot of people are walking away with this going, there, here's the things that went right. You know, uh, Idom winning, uh, you know, a lot of the matches, just incredible, like great hype, like great matches and stuff like that. And here's all the things that went wrong. Let's try to round that stuff out and, and not have that happen again you know, and, and, and be better next year. And so we cross our fingers and we hope, you know, it's, it's hard to see this stuff happen, but you know, the, the amount of things that go wrong at an FGC uh, tournament and, and broadcast broadcast and all that kind of stuff, it's, it's substantial, you know, and, and it happens every single time with pretty much every event out there, nothing goes perfect, but you, you know, you kind of hope that, that things get better, you know, and, and always improving. And that's kind of where it is. All's well that ends well is a big deal here because that's mm-hmm. exactly what happened for Capcom. Idom winning the way he did with just how spectacular it all was. And it wasn't Punk who was just this unstoppable rebel force all weekend. And mm-hmm. Punk's a little bit of the villain in certain ways, you know, and, and, and we've seen Punk win, although not on the Evo or Capcom Cup stage. Uh, and but but 
no one dislikes Idom. That's the oh, thing. Yeah, and yeah. and Punk can win with Karen, sure. And that's not to take anything away from his skill as a player. But who wants to see Karen win? Who wants to see Rashid win? Who wants yeah. to see Akuma win? It's like, yeah, you can appreciate the player, but you don't want to see those characters win. You want to see Laura come out of nowhere with a poison assist and blow everything up. And Idom go from this Cinderella story and this life-changing amount of money from this kid from the Bronx who was afraid to leave his stoop. I mean, it's just beautiful. Yeah. And Capcom gets to close the doors with everybody's mind on something like that and as opposed to the negative things so all's well that ends well it was very fortunate for capcom that the negativity happened widely towards the beginning and the the home runs parts of it uh also like the the reveals and such were very good and and then it it was a nice little transition into let's explore street fighter 5 and here we are so i think they got away pretty unscathed and i will note that um um a number of the people that we ran across at, at the event like they had a really good time like it's it's the FGC it's you know brothers and sisters you know that grew up playing these games and were united together to play them like that's what we're there for right and the feelings of of friendship and just like love and appreciation of what we get to do were very strong there uh the after party was awesome like there was it weren't you know, we're in a bunch of people like, you know, fighting and I don't mean like literal fighting, but like, you know, getting into arguments and stuff like that. It was just like, it was a feeling of togetherness and awesome stuff that is really hard to describe unless you're there. And and there were a lot of great stuff that happened there with the other problems. And again, as you mentioned, as time went on, a lot of that stuff got resolved and, uh, and there it is. So that's kind of our big, you know, Capcom cup wrap up thing. You know, we're going to put a bow on this puppy and and move on and, you know, and try to figure out what's going on with the next CPT. And we've got a ton of street fighter five stuff to get into, but I mean, that's, that's really what we wanted to do is, is kind of have a debriefing of, of what happened there for people who didn't, you know, know the behind the scenes details, get into that. But, uh, but there it is on that note too, as far as people having a good time, uh, there were definitely when I go to these majors and such, which this was the only one I went to this year, which is kind of weird for me, but going out there and uh, seeing the FGC brethren in person is much better than seeing and interacting with the FGC brethren online through Twitter and comment sections and such. Uh, it was very cool and refreshing to see everybody in person and, and see that they're all human beings and they were great. Uh, and then I got to see like the newer crowd that's only the Street Fighter Five, like they've only been around since kind of like Street Fighter Five or recents, you know, and, and I talked to a handful of people, one of whom was name was Kyle, uh, goes by KC Fuse Coast. And it was nice to be able to talk to people like that and see kind of the new the newer players um, and and their perception of things. I'm like, how oh, no, this was totally cool. They had no expectations. You know, they didn't come in playing Street Fighter 4, playing Street Fighter 3, and knowing how the old days were. This is just brand new to them, and they were having a blast, the people yeah. that I spoke with. And that's a really important thing to note. So it's really nice that it seems like there's definitely a growing and emerging audience that we're not just stagnant or anything like that. Yeah. And also, I got to give a huge shout-outs to... Um, to Jeremy, who we met uh, watching, he came out and um, went through. He almost didn't come out, but then he did, and we ended up striking up uh, some conversation, becoming friends with him, and having a really good time watching on finals day. Grab some food afterwards, and it was just this 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 dude that's been a fan of fighting games and uh, happened to show up, and we absolutely gained a friend out of it. You know, just a bonding over. It's like. If you guys can, please do yourself a favor and go out to some of these events. Not just Capcom Cup, whatever, whatever's closer to you and such. But it's a it's a really good time, and it's really good for the uh, the the community aspect of things and um, being able to interact with your fellow FGC family. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. There, there's a few people in the community too. Um, uh, 
uh, that are just really approachable and awesome. And they make you feel like you're, you know, you guys have been friends for months, you know, type thing. And, uh, if you don't get the best experience like out there, uh, with, you know, a few people you approach, just go to the next people, you know, kind of thing. Cause there, there are some, you know, not as socially gifted members of the FGC. And there are some that are really good about it. Uh, I, I will speak very highly of our event hubs team. I think we're all pretty good about like people coming up and talking to us. Uh, you know, and there's a number of others that are great about it. Just absolutely great. And they love to meet, you know, uh, people, fans of the games and fans of them and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's fun to go out there and meet the people that you see and the community all the time. And, yep. um, and there it is. So all right, guys. All right, y'all. Uh, that's going to wrap us up for this week of the Event Hubs podcast. Once again, I, I, I really, very truly mean this. Thank you guys all so much for listening. And we're going to be uh, back with you soon. Adios.